Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. Former President Trump sues his former lawyer, Michael Cohen. He's also expected to return to New York for a separate civil lawsuit. We'll break down where these cases stand. In Texas, Governor Greg Abbott is pushing a review board to recommend a pardon for an army sergeant convicted in the fatal shooting of a Black Lives Matter protester. Why does Abbott want this, and how likely is it that the board will grant the governor's request? The latest trends in inflation, what a new CPI report tells us, and what President Biden says about the economy during his trip to Northern Ireland. The White House this week announcing its next steps in the fight against illegal drugs on our streets. A former supervisory special agent tells us how he would tackle the opioid crisis. And officials say it's not yet safe for residents to return home after the industrial fire in Indiana. We hear from the city's mayor, who says they knew the plant was a fire hazard all along. We have more updates on former President Trump. Trump is suing his former lawyer, Michael Cohen, who played a central role in Trump's recent indictment. Fox News Digital reported that former President Trump filed a federal lawsuit against his former lawyer, Michael Cohen, on Wednesday. The lawsuit alleges that Cohen breached his attorney-client relationship by spreading falsehoods about Trump and received unjust enrichment. The lawsuit says that Trump has suffered vast reputational harm as a direct result of Cohen's breaches. A source close to Trump's legal team told Fox News that the lawsuit is not about the recent case brought by Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg. In his first media interview since his arraignment in that case last week, Trump spoke to Fox News' Tucker Carlson on Tuesday. Is there anything they could throw at you legally that would convince you to drop out of the race? If you get convicted in this case in New York, no, you I'd drop out. out. No, I'd never drop out. It's not my thing. I wouldn't do it. Also on Tuesday, Bragg requested a restraining order against Republican Congressman Jim Jordan, who's the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. Bragg was trying to stop Jordan from subpoenaing a former Bragg deputy to testify about Bragg's policies. Later that same day, a federal judge turned down Bragg's request for the restraining order. These aren't the only legal cases Trump has been involved with recently. The former president is asking for an upcoming defamation trial to be delayed due to the media frenzy caused by his recent indictment. Trump is scheduled to go on trial on April 25th for allegedly defaming magazine columnist E. Jean Carroll. Trump's lawyers wrote to the court on Tuesday asking for a four-week cooling down period. They say this will make it more likely that Trump will receive a fair trial. And Trump will reportedly soon be returning to New York in yet another case. Sources say Trump will sit for a deposition on Thursday in a civil lawsuit brought by New York Attorney General Letitia James. She has been probing Trump and the Trump Organization for alleged business fraud. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. Turning now to Texas, where Governor Greg Abbott wants to pardon Sergeant Daniel Perry, who was convicted Friday in the 2020 fatal shooting of an armed protester. Abbott says Perry is protected by the Texas Stand Your Ground law. But critics say the move is too soon because the sergeant hasn't been sentenced yet. NTD's Arlene Richards finds out what the law says and Perry's chances of being pardoned. U.S. Army Sergeant Daniel Perry was convicted on Friday in the 2020 fatal shooting of Garrett Foster, a Black Lives Matter protester. Texas Governor Greg Abbott immediately took to social media, saying the jury got it wrong. 
In a Twitter post, he said, Texas has one of the strongest stand-your-ground laws of self-defense that cannot be nullified by a jury. I spoke with gun law expert Emily Taylor for more details on the law. Can you tell me what that law says and how it works? You have to be someplace you have a legal right to be. So in this case, Sergeant Perry was legally in his vehicle and legally in the streets in Austin. You have to not be committing any other criminal act at the time you need to use stand your ground. So for example, if you're in the process of selling drugs, you can't then engage stand your ground. And you have to have not provoked the interaction, which ended in deadly force. In July 2020, Perry drove onto a street crowded with protesters. Police say the protesters then surrounded Perry's car. Foster approached the car carrying an AK-47-style rifle. The crucial fact in dispute is whether or not Foster pointed the gun at Perry. Was the threat immediate? Was it imminent? And was it a threat of deadly force? And raising the firearm is what establishes those elements. It's what um, is often going to be in dispute in a self-defense matter. So it's up to the jury to decide who they believe. Abbott asked the Board of Pardons and Paroles to review the case and recommend a pardon, which is required under Texas law. Taylor said the request is outside the norm because the convicted person usually applies for the pardon after he's sentenced. Meanwhile, Perry's attorney is already seeking a new trial. In your opinion, how is this likely to play out? My guess is that before the briefs on the appeal are even due, he will already be pardoned. The appellate process is just quite simply very lengthy. Taylor said in Texas, sentencing typically happens immediately, but it's been delayed in this case, and she doesn't know why. In the meantime, she said Perry will remain in custody. Arlene Richards, NTD News. And looking now at the economy, inflation is slowly easing, but Americans could feel the pinch in their pocketbooks for a while longer. NTD's Iris Tao has more on the latest inflation report, as well as President Biden's visit to Northern Ireland. Prices are easing for Americans as inflation last month slowed to the lowest level in nearly two years. According to the latest CPI report, prices rose 5% in March compared to the same time last year. But although that marks the smallest increase since May 2021, it's still well above the 2% target set by the Federal Reserve. And consumers can continue to feel the pain as food and rent prices remain high and continue to drive inflation. Meanwhile, President Biden tells the latest numbers, saying in a statement, while inflation is still too high, this progress means more breathing room for hardworking Americans. Biden is in Northern Ireland on Wednesday to commemorate the 1998 Good Friday Agreement, which brought peace to the region after 30 years of unrest. The Good Friday Agreement showed us that there is hope for repair, even in the most awful breakages. And may God bring you the peace we need. And Biden also urges leaders of Northern Ireland to seize economic opportunities with the U.S. Scores of major American corporations wanting to come here, wanting to invest. Biden on Wednesday also met with the current U.K. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak in Belfast. And next up, Biden, who often highlights his Irish heritage, will be in the Republic of Ireland through Saturday to meet with officials as well as his distant relatives. Reporting from the White House, Iris Tao, NTD News. Cars. What does the future hold for them? Nearly 70 percent of passenger vehicles sold in the U.S. could be electric by 2032. 
That's if the Biden administration's strict new emissions rules go through. NTD's Daniel Monahan brings us more on that. The EPA's proposal would set the strictest tailpipe emissions limits ever imposed. Model years 2027 through 2032 would be affected. The rules call for far more new electric vehicle sales than the auto industry agreed to less than two years ago. The plan would represent the strongest push yet towards a shift from gasoline-powered to battery-powered vehicles. But critics aren't sold on the idea. Congressman Guy Reschenthaler says EVs increase our reliance on China. Here he questions Interior Secretary Deb Holland. Electric vehicles and renewables are heavily dependent on critical minerals, correct? Yes. China accounts for 63% of the world's rare earth mining. Electric vehicles and renewables deepen our reliance on China, correct? Yes. Okay. okay. Environmental Policy Director Jason Hayes wondered on Fox News how an already overburdened electric grid would cope with a 60% increase in EVs. This is just nonsensical. Literally, it's an order of magnitude increase. We're already seeing problems with our electric grid. Hayes also addressed the increased need for batteries and the cost of their replacement. And the battery packs cost as much or more than the entire car. So you're going to start replacing entire cars. He decried the effect of the massive increase in mining for the required minerals and metals to make the batteries. Meanwhile, on Fox News, Oil and Gas Association President Tim Stewart says he actually owns an EV, but has major issues with it in cold temperatures. The Ranger RV drops by upwards of 40 percent. That means I have to charge twice as much for the same amount of range. EPA Administrator Michael Regan says the proposal will reduce air and climate pollution and lower fuel costs for families. A new poll shows that only 20 percent of Americans say it's very or extremely likely they will purchase an EV the next time they buy a car, while nearly 50 percent say they are unlikely to go electric. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. And the war on drugs continues. The White House this week taking multiple measures to tackle the opioid crisis. Are officials using the right methods? NTD's Arian Pazdar spoke with an expert who used to work on the front lines in the fight against illegal drugs. A warning, we will show medical symptoms, which some viewers may find disturbing. Xylazine, or Trank, is a tranquilizer designed to be used on animals. Drug dealers lace their products with xylazine to cut costs, often with fatal outcomes. On Wednesday morning, the White House announced it designates fentanyl combined with xylazine as an emerging threat to the United States. ABC Chicago reported on the drug's scary flesh-eating effect. Leaving some with horrific, hard-to-heal wounds that can lead to amputation. The black dots, that's necrotic flesh. That's actually, it, this actually looks phenomenal. Just like fentanyl. Xylazine is not illegal since it's used medically. You don't have to completely outlaw the drug or make it illegal, but you can definitely put a certain wording in there in the law to where how it's used. Victor Avila is a former supervisory special agent for ICE and Homeland Security. He's also author of the book Agent Under Fire. On Tuesday, the White House announced how it plans to crack down on the global fentanyl supply chain. One of the main methods is to restrict drug traffickers' access to the U.S. financial system. The fact sheet also states that the U.S. will improve tracking of pill presses, increase seizures of cash being smuggled at the southwest border, and better track equipment used to produce illicit fentanyl. What do you think about the fact sheet provided by the White House, and what stands out to you the most? 
Well, I reviewed it, and, and the first thing that, that stands out is the lack of accountability that the administration uh, is holding on Mexico and China. We know that the cartels are headquartered in Mexico, but, but they're present everywhere in the United States. And so um, we need to attack these cartels uh, at the source. He says the U.S. can hold Mexico accountable by placing sanctions on the country. Avila added the government should declare cartels terrorist organizations so it can freeze their assets in the U.S. and drastically ramp up security at official border crossings, since that's where most drugs come into the U.S., he says. Ariane Pastar, NTD News. And in politics, there is another addition to the list of potential 2024 presidential candidates. GOP Senator Tim Scott has launched a presidential exploratory committee. The South Carolina Republican is scheduled to hold events in Iowa today. Scott gained national prominence after delivering the GOP response to President Biden's address to a joint session of Congress in 2021. And over in Tennessee, the drama over the expulsion of two Democratic legislators is coming to a close, at least for now. The second lawmaker has been reinstated and is heading back to the State House. In a special meeting today, the Shelby County Board of Commissioners in Memphis voted to reappoint Justin Pearson to the House seat he represented. The Democrat will be the interim representative until a special, council, a special election is held in the coming months. Pearson and his fellow Democrat Justin Jones were expelled from the legislature last week after leading gun control protests in protesters onto the House floor. And over in Indiana, firefighters worked overnight trying to put out a fire at a recycling plant. Now city officials are saying they knew the plant was a fire hazard all along. NTD's Jason Perry gives the latest. Smoke can still be seen in the air from the recycling plant in Richmond, Indiana. When they said evacuate, I didn't have shoes on, I had socks on, and I left my purse. Residents aren't recommended to return home yet after a recycling plant caught fire on Tuesday. I'm still worried because they're telling us they don't know what was burning and that, you know, irritation may occur, uh, skin problems, you know. Authorities say the evacuation order is expected to remain in place through Wednesday, but could be longer depending on how quickly firefighters can put out the flames. The executive director of Wayne County Health Department added this. Uh, these are very fine particles and if they're breathed in, can cause all kinds of respiratory problems, burning of the eyes. So we are stressing to the public to honor the evacuation zone. The Richmond fire chief said firefighters responded to the recycling plant to put out a fire on a semi-trailer filled with unknown plastics. And the fire spread to other piles of plastics around the trailer and eventually to the building. And the flames continued to grow so much that the smoke could be seen from space as seen in this satellite video. And the city's mayor, Dave Snow, says they knew the recycling plant was a fire hazard all along. Yes, this uh, business owner had previously been cited by our unsafe building commission and given an order to clean up the property. That order was ignored. Um, we had been through a court case over that order. Our uh, unsafe building order was upheld in that court case. Uh, and we have been through several steps since then to order uh, this particular business owner to clean up this property because we were aware that uh, what was operating here was a fire hazard. The on-scene coordinator for the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, or EPA, said no toxic compounds have been detected in the air. 
Officials said the cause of the fire wasn't immediately known, and it likely won't be known until after the fire's been extinguished, which could take days. Jason Perry, NTD News. Coming up, Theranos CEO Elizabeth Holmes has just been denied her request to remain free on bail. The judge ruled she and her co-defendant can't be free during the appeal trials. And in basketball news, 25 years after Michael Jordan gifted a ball boy an autographed pair of shoes, those same sneakers set an auction price record. We'll have that and more coming up. U.S. judge has just denied Theranos' former CEO's request to remain free on bail during appeal trials. Her co-defendant was also denied his free on bail request. A U.S. judge on Monday denied Theranos founder Elizabeth Holmes' request to remain free on bail while she appeals her conviction. She is charged with defrauding investors in the failed blood testing startup that was once valued at $9 billion. U.S. District Judge Edward Davila sentenced Holmes to 11 years and three months in prison in November. Holmes requested to postpone the sentence while the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals reviews her case. Davila concluded that even if Holmes won her appeal to challenge the Theranos technology evidence, it wouldn't result in a reversal or a new trial of all the counts she was found guilty of. He said, Contrary to her suggestion that accuracy and reliability were central issues to her convictions, Mrs. Holmes' misrepresentations to Theranos investors involved more than just whether Theranos technology worked as promised. In denying the release appeal, Davila noted that Holmes was unlikely to flee or endanger the community. Holmes is scheduled to begin serving her 11-year sentence on April 27th. Holmes' co-defendant, Former Theranos president Ramesh or Sunny Belwani was convicted of defrauding Theranos investors and patients at a separate trial and sentenced to 12 years and 11 months in prison. In March, Davila also denied Belwani's request to remain free on bail during his appeal. The Ninth Circuit also ruled that Belwani's sentence should not be postponed while it considers his case. National Public Radio, or NPR, announced it's quitting Twitter today. That's after the social media platform labeled NPR's main account last week as state-affiliated media. Twitter later changed the label to government-funded media, but NPR says it's still misleading. The company said in a statement today that it'll no longer be active on Twitter because, quote, the platform is taking actions that undermine our credibility by falsely implying that we are not editorially in independent. Musk responded on Twitter saying NPR literally said federal funding is essential to public radio on their own website, now taken down. What hypocrites. Twitter also changed a label on the main BBC account saying it is publicly funded instead of government funded media after the broadcaster objected. And Musk made headlines after an intense exchange with a BBC reporter late Tuesday over claims that hateful content has increased on the social media platform since he took over. Hateful? What do you mean to describe a hateful thing? Yeah, I mean, you know, just content that will solicit a reaction, something that may include something that is slightly racist or slightly sexist, those kinds of, those kinds of things. So you think if I'm, something is slightly sexist, it should be banned? 
I, no, is I'm that not, what you're saying? I'm not saying anything. I'm saying. Well, I'm just curious. What you, I'm, I'm trying to understand what you mean by hateful con content, and I'm asking for specific examples. Um, and if, and you just said that if something is slightly sexist, that's hateful content. Does that mean that it should be banned? Well, you've asked me. You've asked me whether my feed, whether it's got less or more. It, I'd say it's got slightly more. That's what I'm asking for examples. Can, right. you, can you name one example? I, I honestly don't. Use, I, I, honestly, you I don't. You can't name I, a single example. I'll tell you why. Because I don't actually use that for you feed anymore. Because I, I just don't particularly like it. But you and said actually, a lot of people. A lot of people are quite similar. I, I, I only. Well, well, I only look well at hang my, on a second. You said you've seen more hateful content, but you can't name a single example. Not even one. In that same interview, Musk said he'd he's laid off more than six thousand people at Twitter. He said the process is not fun at all and can sometimes be painful. He said when he came on board, the company was facing a $3 billion negative cash flow situation, adding that now the platform is roughly breaking even with advertisers returning. And looking now to French President Emmanuel Macron and his Taiwan remarks, let's take a deeper dive into the ideological roots behind his philosophy. The French leader has openly called himself an heir to the spirit of the Chinese Communist Party's founder. NTD's Colin Fredrickson has more. An informal tea meeting with Chinese leader Xi Jinping, capping off French President Emmanuel Macron's three-day China trip last week. But these two share a passion that goes far beyond the age-old beverage. In March 2017, then-popular presidential candidate Macron had an interview with French newspaper Le Parisan. He publicly declared, I am a Maoist, adding, a good program is one that works referring to the effectiveness of his campaign. Mao was the first and most authoritarian leader of the Chinese Communist Party, ruling for 27 years before his death in 1976. An estimated 65 million Chinese people died as a result of his policies and attempts to craft Chinese socialism, the most famous of which was the Great Famine, the consequence of his order to centralize China's agriculture under a policy called the Great Leap Forward. Current party leader Xi Jinping is seen as a staunch follower of Mao, given his dedication to Mao's ideology, his often hardline policies, and his stress on the Communist Party's absolute leadership over all aspects of society. Apart from his comments on Maoism, Macron also cited other communist leaders on various occasions. During a later interview with French TV station RTL, Macron invoked a famous quote from former Chinese statesman Deng Xiaoping as he addressed the issue of overcoming the left-right divide. It doesn't matter if a cat is white or black. We only ask him to catch the mouse. Earlier that same year, at a conference in western France, Macron made repeated calls for what he called cultural revolution in multiple sectors. The term evokes one of the darkest periods of communist rule in China, when millennia of cultural heritage were wiped out, with hundreds of thousands of lives slaughtered. Macron also likened his campaign and polling analysis to a long march. The name relates to the communist forces' south-to-north migration during the Civil War to escape the then-ruling Kuomintang. Mao's ideas had a profound impact on French society back in the 60s. One of Macron's rivals in that year's election, politician Jean-Luc Mélenchon, is also a typical Maoist. He was known for wearing Mao's jacket during campaign events. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News. And now to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. 
Thank you, Steph. A pair of game-worn shoes by Michael Jordan sold for a record $2.2 million at Sotheby's auction yesterday. The price is the most ever paid for some sneakers, which specifically are a pair of autographed Air Jordans worn in Game 2 of the 98 NBA Finals. Jordan scored 38 points in the win over the Jazz to even the series at one game apiece. The Bulls would go on to win the series in six to claim their sixth and final NBA title. Sotheby's said the shoes were gifted by Jordan to a Utah Jazz ball boy for finding his previously lost jacket. Now while the $2.2 million price tag is high, it dwarfs in comparison to the more than $10 million paid last year for a game-worn Jordan jersey from the same playoff series, which is the most ever paid for a piece of sports memorabilia. And in baseball news, a Salt Lake City coalition led by former Utah Jazz owner Gail Miller plans to pursue a Major League Baseball expansion team in the coming years. The group includes former player Dale Murphy and joins similar groups in Nashville and Portland who are also lobbying for a franchise. Now currently there are 30 teams in the league, but Commissioner Rob Manfred has previously said he'd like to have 32. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, the NBA's play-in tournament continues with two 9-versus-10 seed games as Toronto hosts Chicago in the East and Oklahoma City plays at New Orleans for the West. The winners will then take on the teams who lost last night while the season ends for tonight's losing teams. And in baseball, slow night, just six games on. That includes the now 11-0 Tampa Bay Rays taking on the Boston Red Sox and seven-time All-Star Chris Sale. And finally, for you hockey fans, just three games on tonight, including one with the New York Islanders, though, who can clinch the final remaining playoff spot over Pittsburgh with the win. They host Montreal. And that's it for your sports news today. Steph, over to you. Thanks, Dave. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.